Welcome to the podcast, Storytelling and Safety, brought to you by you, the listener. Please visit the website, storytellingandsafety.com, for other episodes. Welcome to the podcast on Storytelling and Safety. Today, we're going to begin a series of four on answering the question on what it means to be married to a safety professional. And I'm also honored to have our first two guests in series to be Rick Pollock and Diana Stegall. Of course, both are married, but both are presidents or were presidents with the American Society of Safety Professionals. Rick was a president during our 100-year anniversary, and Diana Stegall is, current, is our current president. So without further ado, let's welcome Rick Pollock and Diana Stegall. Welcome to the podcast on storytelling and safety. We are in for a treat today for episode six, which is going to be a series of four. Um, our first guest is going to be Rick Pollock and Diana Stegall. I, I am really honored to have them. How are you two handling this pandemic right now? Well, I, I think like everyone else, we're trying to stick to the credible sources, um, not go down the rabbit hole, hole looking too much on the website and uh, following one path until the next thing you know you look up and it's been two hours later and you haven't moved um but it's really trying to stick to the facts there was a a graphic that was shown yesterday that kind of talked about three different circles having to get through the fear to be able to get to the learning mode to get to the growth mode i think i'm more on that learning growth mode right Mm now um just it's kind of, uh, you go through the denial and then the acceptance and then what can we do about it? Um, but we've been actually dealing with it for a little bit because even before it became an issue in the U.S., we were scheduled to go to Nigeria and we would have left on March 17th, right from the uh, Arizona conference. And we, a couple of weeks before that, we sat down and we made a decision mm-hmm. and we, we did our risk assessment and said, even though it, we may not get it, A, we don't want to be carriers, and B, we don't want to be um, quarantined for two weeks someplace not in our house. Hmm. You know, right. because even if it were in the U.S., it's, it's not going to be ideal. It's going to yeah. be a shortage of beds, the food, not being able to exercise, so you put yourself at additional risk in that environment. So... Um, yeah, we you know, ended up not going. Yeah, we ended up not going, and that could have been a lot of, uh, you know, it would have been a great learning experience for both of us. Um, and we, in a way, feel bad that we let our friends in Nigeria down, but um, they ended up having a conference, and we, uh, we sent webinar materials, and Diana did a video presentation for them. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I'm sure they had a, a good conference, but you know, you say, how are we coping? Coping really is an interesting term. Uh, <laughs> making sure that to get exercise, that's for sure. Uh, we've been, you know, functionally dealing with this for more than three weeks, I guess. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's limiting the number of trips to the grocery store, limiting, uh, limiting completely any, really much of any social contact. We've, we've gone hiking a couple of times and it was really interesting. We were at uh, Sabino Canyon a week ago, and people were really conscious of, of social distancing. You know, you'd pass somebody on a trail, and you'd actually move to the side of the trail 
to let the other person go past or the other group go past and vice versa. I didn't really think there were many people that weren't practicing that at no. the time, which was really good to see. Um, you know, I'm, I'm also to a point now where I've learned how much I, how much new news in, intake I want to take in at a given point in time. You know, I think uh, in the beginning I was reading everything and um, now I'm, I, I'm, it's not, I'm not denying anything. It's just, I, I want to uh, uh, stay as positive as I can and proactive as I can. And, you know, I think uh, <laughs> speaking of being proactive, we, we just started making our masks and, and including, uh, uh, filtrate, uh, 3M filtrate, uh, furnace filter pieces in the mask. So, uh, we'll see. I, I, I'm not going out in public with it yet, but I probably will later today. We'll see. That's funny. You're, you're both uh, scientists. So you probably have gotten you an N rating. You got like N80 and 90. We're, we're working at it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe if we double up the, fil the filtrates, then it'll... Double up the filtrates and, and maybe get some silicone caulk to go around the bandana yeah. or something. I don't know. Yeah, might have some old, maybe if we could take uh, the, the, the glue melt yeah, and then do like that, that and let it form and, yeah, well, or, or some wax and oh, yeah. or just, or just continue to practice social distancing and, and wear whatever mask we can put on. I mean, that's the key. That makes you sense. You have to go out as if you are infected and you are going to now try to protect others while you have to get your necessities in life, your milk and your, you know, whatever. We did, we did our, we did a necessity shopping day yesterday. So Costco in a grocery store and we went into Costco and they're filtering people in. So they're kind of throttling the, the amount of people that go in. And when we went in, it, it felt pretty comfortable. But when we got around the corner, it must've been the eggs and the dairy section. There was so many people just hanging out. I just, mm. I felt like they felt like maybe that there was nothing going on because maybe 40% of the people that were in there were wearing masks so we came around the corner. We're like, okay, we don't need anything in there right now. We'll come back. So we moved um, and made that decision. But I feel you. Getting outside, exercise, that stuff is extremely important because if you stay stationary and became a couch potato, right, that's, that's in itself bad. So yeah. getting outside, doing those things, and I appreciate that. And then you made your own masks. That is phenomenal. The, the biggest thing is, um, even though the governor didn't shut, you know, hairstylists are an essential function, evidently, in the state of Arizona, uh, most of the places have closed. So yeah. you know, I've got to learn how to cut my bangs. That's, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he, he did shut them down last Friday after. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I heard that. He, yeah. did a, he did a public townhouse on um, four or five of the local news stations, and there was just constant bombardment throughout the entire interview. So he just said, fine. I'll, I'll shut it down okay. due to popular opinions. Well, I'm glad he did. Um, yeah. So now my wife is, she's going through the, Sheila's going through the whole, what am I going to do with my roots? Am I going to have to worry about the, the things that are going on with my hair? So I think she's worked something out with her stylist where she can just go grab some stuff and try to do mm -hmm. it on her own and we'll see sure, how it yeah. works out. So coping is a big word, but that's what a lot of people are trying yeah. to do is cope. But you're trying to make the best of a bad situation and that's a good message to send out to the people that are listening. So I'd like to know, and so with the listeners, how long have you two been together and what makes your relationship work so well, especially through hard times like this? Well, I had heard about Mr. Rick Pollock um, when I was in Region 6 and working on their PDC. One of the people who ran the conference um, had been on the PDC planning committee with Rick and he's like, oh, Rick's a great friend of mine and if you want to get on the committee, you need to be nice to me. And I'm like, 
I'm fairly nice to you anyway, other than we did have some serious disagreements on things. Do um, you want to put that person on blast? No, 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 no I don't. Okay. But we had different ideas about um, preparing people for roles. So okay. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. So it was uh, December, it was the Denver PDC in 2003, and I was ready to uh, put my name in for the Society PDC. So I hunted down Rick on the, um, on the expo floor um, and introduced myself. And I'm sure he was thinking, wow, this pushy broad. Uh, no, <laughs> I would never say that. <laughs> but, but at that point in time, you know, people have already been chosen for the PDC planning committee. And so it was a year and we would chat periodically and he would um, basically scare, try to scare people into a full understanding of what it takes to be on that committee because it is a lot of work. It's very satisfying, mm -hmm. but it's a lot of work. Um, and so we, we started, you know, I joined the committee um, in August of 2004 for the committee meeting for planning for New Orleans in 2005. Okay. Uh, so that's where we just started to get to see each other, you know, see how each other operates, which is kind of interesting. Um, and then a couple of years later, we were both in situations where we were going through divorces. And I think I called him up and said, hey, do you want to uh, go see a Broadway show? So I jumped on an airplane and flew to New York and uh, we went and saw Spamalot Spam and Avenue Q and Chicago, I think. Yeah. Yeah, we had a nice, a nice weekend doing that. So oh, whole first weekend in Broadway. Broadway. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. So you flew from... Okay, you were in Minneapolis. Oh, you were in yep. Minneapolis. Okay. And I was, in, I was in Pennsylvania at the time. So yeah. okay. for me, it was just a drive up. Yeah. Well, so my memory of that, that encounter was a little bit different. Dewey, Dewey <laughs> uh, Whitmire, the, the uh, director of professional development for ASSP at the time, um, said, do you know who uh, Diana Pressman is? And I said, uh, I've heard the name, but I don't think I know her. And he said, well, she really wants to be on the committee and has... Um, you know, you know, trying to find out and I don't know, asking a lot of questions and she wanted to meet you. And so um, I think about an hour before I actually did meet you, Dewey said that she was gonna, Diana was gonna be on the floor at the expo um, and was gonna hunt me down around my CLMI booth. And sure enough, about an hour later, there, there came Diana. And you know, I, I asked her some questions then that indicated to me that she was a good planner and uh, had experience, all of that. And the following year, when I was adding people to the committee, uh, we had implemented a new plan um, because we had a lot of people that wanted to be on the committee, as you could imagine. And um, unfortunately, once on the committee, sometimes people didn't do the work they were supposed to do. So we, we established a new uh, <clears throat> set of criteria, and Diana got to be the first one to go through the grilling. And actually, she did quite well because she had a lot of experience. And, uh, you know, I think, I think time eventually told that she not only knew how to, how to do uh, some of the logistics planning and working on PDCs, which we really needed at that time, um, but also had some great ideas and, and then eventually ended up managing the committee itself. And, uh, and now becoming who you are today. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. There's a couple of leadership characteristics you just talked about because there's probably committees in society now that have 
well, a lot of people, but there's only a handful of people that actually do a lot of the work. So from a leadership perspective, setting criteria like that is extremely important so that people have an understanding of where the expectation is and what they can come back to. So I, I really appreciate you talking about that. For both of you being on PDC planning, though, um, was that a good experience for you? Oh, it was, it was excellent. I would do it again in a heartbeat. I mean, it was a lot of work, but um, when you leave the PDC, whether it's a chapter, a regional, or the society PDC, whatever the level is, and you see the, the faces of the attendees and the response you get back from them and know that you really created a great event for them. Um, that you created a, a good experience, a good learning experience, a good networking experience, um, ensuring that the, the sponsors and the exhibitors are, are there and supportive and thanking them. It, it's, it, it's a high. I mean, it really mm. is. You just, you, you leave, even when I was doing Region 6 PDC, um, I was probably driving distracted on the way home because just you, you just have this, this high that you're going through uh, on the way back and afterwards. Um, so it, it actually is kind of a letdown afterwards because it's like, okay, I just had this amazing experience that you know I, I helped to create and now I get to go back to life as usual. Um, yeah, so. you know, I, I think, you know, so if you wanna go back down memory lane, I'm not gonna to go too much into detail, but I, I was appointed to the PDC committee way back before the Minneapolis PDC, which I think was in 92, long time ago. <laughs> and so I was on the committee uh, initially as a representative for, for the local chapter. And um, it was a real eye-opener because in the beginning, the committee would actually come up with the topics, uh, would, would uh, then source the speakers, and really came up with the theme, um, you know, pretty much put the whole thing together. And um, it was not until about, oh, let's say 10 years later that uh, we went to the system that they have now where you have a call for presenters and, and then you submit a paper. And then um, it, it evolved beyond that, I think, to when you were in charge, uh, where they went to a, a rubric system where the points, the points that are awarded were put together in a, in a, a more uniform way so that um, you know you took into consideration did a, did, a, did a speaker speak before and how well did they do you know what was their rating but then you also looked at um, the surveys of the attendees what topics do they want what categories of topics do they want and you begin to then weight the sessions in a way where you build a program that has 200 and some concurrent sessions that allow you to provide something for almost everyone. Um, you know, the big rub though, is there's so many good sessions in a given time slot, like that very first time slot on the very first day after the general session, man, or the first time slot in the afternoon, you, you have a hard time picking the, who do you wanna go here? And you know, like you, Tim, or, or me, or a few others, we're probably in those time slots, which is an honor, no doubt about it, but, um, it's really evolved a lot. And, and what's really interesting to see is that I remember there, were, there was concern like, will we, will we ever be able to top 3,000 attendees? 
will we ever be able to top 4,000 attendees? And, and now to see the conference turn into what it's become, really the, probably the best professional development learning event in the world. Yeah. Um, you know, there are bigger, bigger expos, but from a learning event standpoint, wow. Um, it's, it's really great to see. And I, I think, you know, where it is today, Diana had a lot to do with that. No, no doubt I, I would agree where I'm at today. You probably had a lot to do with it too, because my first PDC was 2005. Mm -hmm. Um, so in coming to that, seeing the sessions, going to the vendors and expo booth, I just, I learned a lot and it made me want to come back and it made me want to get involved. You should know the first two people that I actually met outside of, of the people that I was working for was Terry Norris and Mary Silva. So I got immediately immersed into... <laughs> I bet you did. I don't know if it was a negativity or if it was just a bunch of fun or this is really what a PDC is all about. But nevertheless, I got, I got a lot of great learning out of that. And uh, That's good. It was, that was a great conference. You know, I want to add one thing to, 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 the, to the story here about the PDC. You know, so I, I owned a company, CLMI Safety Training. And um, so I was on the committee initially as a representative for the local chapter that was going to have the PDC, but they kept me on because they knew that um, you needed somebody who was an exhibitor or, or uh, intimate to the expo uh, to help guide decision-making. So you'd have some, you'd have a little bit of a dash of salt to go with, with your paprika. And um, the thing that came out of that is a number of sessions that we have today where you have exhibitors and sponsors making presentations, both uh, as concurrent sessions, but also uh, on the floor demonstrating products and services, et cetera, because it's a fact that a great deal of learning can take place if you listen to what the exhibitors are saying. They know their product and the solutions that they provide better than we do. So um, the idea was to try to mainstream the exhibitors uh, as part of the education process. So pretty, I'm proud that it, it's at the point where it is today. That's good. And then also there's the uh, little flash sessions that some exhibitors get involved with on the expo floor. So that, yeah. that's a good thing too. So you both, thank you for all the work there. I, it just makes me want to come back. And I think we've actually increased record numbers from the last four years. So yeah, I mean, from an expo standpoint, um, we have continually grown every year is a record, which is pretty, ex pretty exciting. Um, that's good. Yeah, and, and for a long time, you know, so I was, I was uh, chair of the planning committee for our 100th anniversary back in 2011, which was a great time to be in that role. Um, but I remember we were, we hit 4,000 paid because other, other conferences will look at the total number and we look at the number, we look at that, but we also look at the total number of paid attendees because, you know, that, that kind of says a lot. Um, and we hit 4,000 and that record held until mm -hmm. about two years ago. Yeah. So, and on one hand, I'm like, woohoo, I still hold the record. And then it's like, yeah, but we need to move forward. So, yeah. <laughs> and then there's this year. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Let's, we won't even go there right whole now. Another, whole nother podcast. Yep. <laughs> All right. So, with both of you being presidents of society, how do you support one another on strategy or what kind of advice do you provide to each other when there's things that come up like maybe moving the PDC? Oh. Well, the, the big thing that we both have to remember is, well, when he was president, I kind of got to go through it with him. So I had at least some idea about what was going on, but there have been so many changes 
within the organization. We have a new governance structure. We have a new CEO um, that sometimes is like, well, we're, we're a different organization than we were even when he was president. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of big picture things, some of the things that are ongoing where you have members who think they know it all, but don't really understand what society's doing or what's going on. So we're working on communication, um, but just sometimes having a sounding board. Yeah, I, I think, you know, that to, to, you know, jump off on that one, you know, we, we understand that we're both a, ASSP is both a member organization as well as a, a professional education organization. And um, the mistake that gets made sometimes in understanding the governance process of ASSP is that we're actually, um, what is it, member-governed or member-driven. And in reality, um, members do provide input and provide a, you know, a great deal of um, direction. But when it comes down to um, you know, actually getting things done, we, we have to also think about the long-term uh, viability of the organization. Um, you know, I remember when I was president and, and, and the year before and the year after, um, we were in the process of changing how the board was made up, you know, the governance system. Right. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, we, had to, we had to really think through not just you know, what did we want it to look like and why, but we had to be able to articulate it to everyone. And I think that it's proven out to be a pretty good change um, and that, you know, regions and chapters are still represented and they haven't lost resources and, you know, if anything, it gained, gained resources. But um, so the supporting part for me is, number one, I'm a uh, uh, demonstrative personality. And so okay, I'm, a, I'm a high E, okay? And a high E has a hard time keeping his or her mouth shut. So I have to fight that one. And um, I think that uh, the more that I've been able to step back and, and uh, not step into Diana's um, situation, uh, it, it's made her better and stronger. And then after the fact, we talk about things yeah. and we reflect on things. And I think that's, that's the, the way we've been operating this year for sure. Yeah, I mean, we, we respect that there are some confidentiality things. So sometimes like I can't talk to you about that. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. But the collaboration moving forward, every time I talk to the two of you, either together or separate, there's always collaboration in your voice. There's always this effort to want to work together for the betterment of whatever it is you're trying to achieve. So if it's membership experience, you work and collaborate on that. I think that's incredible. So married couples and safety professionals who, who can learn from that. And I'm talking to my wife, Sheila, she's like, yeah, there's things that you learn throughout the time in your career. And as you progress, you start to incorporate these learned ideas. And the two of you provide a lot of that to me as well. So from a collaboration perspective, I learned a lot of, a lot of things just watching the two of you work together, which is incredible. Well, well thank you for that, Tom. Um, and I think we, we do collaborate mm -hmm. well. You've um, asked yeah. earlier about our, our relationship and early on in the relationship, because we'd both been married, we had both been in environments where uh, the other person was controlling, if you will. Um, and so we made a, we early on said, no games. Mm. 
Absolutely, we are not playing games. Board games, yes, we can. You know, <laughs> that, that that that's all fine. But I'll beat you at five hundred. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> mental games, uh, uh-uh, you know, oh, yeah. so being mm. feeling comfortable to say what's on our mind um, and knowing that that's okay. I mean, and sometimes it doesn't hit us through, you know, if, if we're tired, we're not at our best, it may not hit us exactly correctly, but we know that both of us are in this for the long run and that um, we're, we're going to have those days. We're not going to be perfect. I mean, I know. You're not? I'm not. Perfect. <laughs> um, so we're able to do that, but we're also very conscious of our strengths. You know, mm. what, what do we each bring to the table? Mm. Rick mentioned the planning. I'm much better at planning than he is. I'll just tell you. Um, but, uh, but he's much more the entrepreneurial and um, driver. We, yeah. Yeah. I get, I get, I get that. And I can see that in both of you. I got two things to say about games. I, I remember being in the Marine Corps and when I was in boot camp, they used to say, don't make me turn Milton Bradley on you. <laughs> I was just like, okay. And then another one would say, it's about time for Parker brothers. You ready to go open up the cupboard? And it's just yeah. like, Oh, and I understand high school was so long ago, but from a uh, game's perspective, yeah, those things can get tiring after a while. It's just like, I don't have the energy to want to deal with those right. kinds of right. games. Well, and I, I think, Tim, the, the thing that for, for Diana and for me both, you know, in, with my business and with her, her, uh, her career and then tying over into ASSP, it's, it's the more positive energy we have, the more creative we can be in helping our clients solve their problems. That's so good. And, so good. you know, if we can keep that on our, on our uh, you know, front burner most of the time, the better off we're going to be. We're like everyone else. We have, we have that bad day or yeah. you know, hour or whatever you yeah. want to say. But, um, you know, the more you can come back to really why, why do we do what we do? Um, how can we continue to improve, et cetera? And, you know, I, I think that Diana makes a good point. She's much more detail oriented. Back, uh, I, 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 hate, I hate it when I realize after the fact that I've sent out an important let's say email or, or document or whatever, and doggone it, it's got a typo in it, or it has the word the two times in a row or whatever. And so I, I, I learned uh, to have Diana do a little proofreading for me. Just even though I've read it three times, I don't see some of these things. So it's, it's good. <laughs> That's good. Proofreading is good. I, I would sometimes give proofreading things to Sheila, and I wrote it in my book, What Would Sheila Do? So an acronym, WWSD, if she would ever give me <laughs> feedback, it would be like, oh, do I want to get rid of my personal game activities in my mind? Because it would, for whatever reason, if she would come up with something like, you're the comma man, it would be, <laughs> I thought I'm a better writer than that. I had to get rid of that personal, she's not attacking me personally. She's just trying to make this thing and me better. So mm-hmm. good on you for that collaboration. Well, I got one more for you. So Diana writes, you know, as a president, you write the president's message for uh, PSJ. And we do, in fact, write those, by the way. And uh, so Diana was let, let me read, I think, the first two. And she hasn't let me read them <laughs> since because I'm a, I'm a consummate, well, I would do this or I would do that. And, and it's better that I don't review them because her ideas, I think she's written very good messages and hopefully those out there that have read them would agree. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
just know she writes them without any input from me. <laughs> <laughs> That's all good. <laughs> Thanks for that, Rick. Um, so what's the one attribute for the both of you that makes your relationship strong? So for our safety professionals, the listeners that are listening to this podcast, how do you mean continuity or partnership in your business? Mm. I think it starts with that um, foundation of respect and trust respect. Mm-hmm. And, and knowing that um, we love each other unconditionally. So again, not having, Aww. yeah. So, okay. so again, not having that, that mind game of, of trying to one up the other. Yeah. I mean, and that's big. And I, I'd say that even carries over to, so if you're working with a client, for example, you know, having that respect for what they're trying to do. And sometimes they're not going to see where you want to take them from a safety perspective but you have to respect them enough to meet them where they are and help them along that journey to get to where you know they can be and they need to be. Yeah, oh, good. That was a great and I think the other is we, we, we communicate very well. And even, even to a point where, you know, I learned how to do something called a discovery agreement where you listen to the other person and if it's something new, you say to them, um, okay, the way I understand it is this is what you said and this is what the problem is. And we're, we're not that formal about it, but because I had learned that, it helps me say, okay, all right, so this is what you want to do. And I try to do it in a positive way, not a, what, you want to do that? That's crazy. <laughs> no, but it, we try to communicate it through, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Oh, those are great, great words. Great, that's actually a great, uh, great strategy. Um, some of our listeners may not even understand what strategy is versus tactical operations, but when you get to your level, that those kinds of strategies, interpersonal communications, the soft skills that you both share together as a relationship or a couple or a collaboration can work both at both levels outside of your relationship. So the people that you talk to, even at the board level, they could use some of that strategic, what is it that you're trying to tell me versus what I'm trying to understand. So those are great words of wisdom. Oh, great. This has been a great podcast. I, I only got one more question for you if you're ready for this one. And I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to seeing your reaction here. <laughs> if you had to pick a romantic comedy that explains your relationship, what would it be? What was that TV show with Helen Hunt and Paul Reiser? I, 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 I don't know. I, the name I never that watched one. that. Yeah, for me, I, I like that show. And uh, I, I see... Uh, Diana a lot as Helen Hunt, you know, pretty active, involved. Uh, Paul Reiser was a pretty good character too, because he was very supportive, but he was a little bit um, uh, one-sided, let's put it that way. Um, What the heck was the name of that? Uh, Mad About You. Mad About, that's, yes, absolutely. (laughs) All right, I'm going to have to binge watch that now. (laughs) It's so good. So, you know, I I like that because there was a lot of give and take. And uh, I think I think that's the way we are. I don't know. I'll have to watch it. But I, I one of the issues I have with um, TV shows where there is that relationship is one person in the couple mm. is made to look foolish. Yeah. I mean, you look you look at a lot of the husband wife things, whether it's Marge and Homer or what um, about Raymond? Yeah, yeah. it's one yeah. person is made to be just the, the doofus and, right. and that's not the case. We, yeah. we are 
We're both doofuses. We're, no. Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes we are both doofuses. Oh. Um, but, but more partners. So, you know, I think about films, and I can't get you to actually watch Princess Bride and not fall asleep. But, so, <laughs> one of my favorite movies. He's not Me too. That's so good. All time. Um, we should have watched it during the day someday. It might be better. <laughs> there you go. But Before I, you I, go golfing. So some yeah. of the more classic movies, I guess, mm. um, we think about African Queen mm. and the relationship yep. between Catherine Hepburn and Humphrey Bogart because he initially thinks he's there to save her yep. and they both push each other and they grow together, um, not just emotionally grow together being on a boat for an extended period of time, but the, they, they grow together until the end. It's like, you know what? Um, this is what we're doing and you know, keeping that moral integrity. And if we have to die from that, then we're going to die. Yeah. Hopefully we don't go to that. Yeah, but, right. but, but that partnership and having that, that understanding. Um, I think one of you, you also asked the question earlier, what's one of the things that makes us work? And we're both, uh, our parents were both educators. Hmm. So my mom and dad were both educators. His mom and dad were both educators um, from, a, from a high school standpoint. So you have that, funda- that foundation that keeps you from thinking, oh, I'm all this. Um, it's really, mm-hmm. how do we make the world a better place? And for us, we've been fortunate to find safety is the way to help make the world a better place. And so we have that common um, moral ground that that common belief and value system which uh at, at i think it was at future safety leaders this this fall we had a speaker who was talking about the importance of of values and core values and having that conversation and the number of people who said um i'm getting ready to get married and that's not a conversation my fiance and i have ever had I'm like yeah well you kind of need to because that's yeah that's fundamental to being able to uh, succeed as a couple. Yeah, those are, those are all great metaphors. I don't know if I have a romantic comedy that would probably speak as loud as those two. I'm Mad About You is a great show. Sheila and I used to watch that all the time. Um, it was just right after I left the military and it was before Paul Reiser became a bad guy on Alien. So yeah. I'm thinking yeah. he, he had a great opportunity. He was always looked at positively, but when he became it was like, oh, look at that guy, he's bad. But the African Queen movie, that uh, that says a lot. It makes me want to go back and watch it again because, yeah, he was supposed to be saving her, but yeah. nevertheless, that, you probably are saving each other through, through some conversations. And um, I just want to tell you, thank you for all of the conversations that you've had with me in this podcast. You do know that this is a four-part series and I'm interviewing a couple of other folks. So those folks are going to be Eldine Posniak and Sam Diggins. Um, Mary and Dave Silva, which I have to say that both their spouses are also safety professionals mm-hmm. and Dave's bridge is starting up. Uh, but the last one is going to be an interview with my wife, Sheila. Ah. So do you, do you have any words of wisdom to these seven or five other people that uh, from a perspective of collaboration, partnership, relationships, um, do you have any words of wisdom for them as they begin their journey on the podcast? I'll let you take this one. <laughs> I think just um, treat it as what it is, an opportunity to share your perspective. Uh, and we all are going to have different ideas of what works. Different couples have 
um, fundamentally different relationships. Uh, they have different things that make them tick and make them work. So just be yourselves. It's, it's a whole lot easier than trying to be somebody that you're not. Yeah. Perfect. Glad I gave it to you. <laughs> Those are excellent words of wisdom. As you probably know, I am not a relationship counselor. <laughs> I'm barely, barely a safety professional, but when it comes to stuff like this, I, I have to say that being married to a safety professional can or cannot be the same as any other person, but it does take soft skills. And a lot of our safety professionals can learn those collaboration and relationship building and being able to listen. And like you said, Rick, listening is one of those big things. Find out what they're saying before you move forward with the strategy. And um, that could help out our listeners. So I want to say thank you on behalf of the Storytelling and Safety Podcast. And, and I say that these listeners that are going to be coming around listening to this podcast can certainly gain some stuff, um, gain some insightful information. And the two of you, you've, you've, you've spent some great time. So I really say thank you very much for taking the time to spend with thank us. You, thank you, Tim. Yeah, we, we, we enjoyed it. That episode was so fun. Thanks for being here, Rick and Diana. In our next episode will be part two of a four series um, relationship in terms of storytelling um, and being married to a safety professional. And our next two guests are going to be Mary Silva and Dave Silva, and they're going to be coming to us from Hawaii. So stay tuned for that. That'll be episode 6.2. We'll see you in the next podcast. This podcast was brought to you by our listeners. Thank you for attending and spending some of your time with us. 